Why don't you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, please? And then when you find that, stick your finger in there. Um, you need extra fingers. I know Brenda always seems to have a bunch. Um, and then, then turn to Luke 15 when you get 2 Corinthians 5. So we're going to spend a little bit of time there. Um, and let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you have paid the price for us. Father, I'm asking by the Holy Spirit you would raise a deeper awareness as we go through this message today of what you have paid for. God, make us grateful for the cross. That you have uh, made it possible to reconcile God to man. That you've made it possible for us to stop trying to please you and start doing things in our own effort. And we can rest in the total security of what you did on the death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. I'm eternally grateful that you continue to restore us, that you continue to take us in our brokenness and our fracturedness, and you continue to redeem us. Father, I'm asking as we spend time in your word that you would open it up. Holy Spirit, I'm leaning on you, asking that you would impart insight and wisdom. Thank you, Jesus, that you said that he would open up Scripture that he would lead and guide into truth, that he would call to mind and bring back to memory the things that he has spoken when Jesus was on the earth. Father, we just entrust that you will do a, a, an eternal thing today, that you would change us, that you challenge us for the change and change us for that challenge, Lord, that we'd leave this place imparted, ready, equipped, thoroughly equipped for all good works and all God people said, Amen. Amen and amen. So be it. How many here know you need an equipping in order to do the things God got you to do? You're not going to do it on your own. You figured that out yet? I, uh, I think of this every Saturday morning when I get dressed for my hockey game. I get all the equipment on. I'm thoroughly equipped, but somehow at 50, almost 52 years of age, I still need something else to get me going. And uh, I recognize in the same way in the spiritual, as I walk out of these doors, because it's real easy. It's easier to be a Christian here. Easier. Anyone else get distracted in worship occasionally? And be distracted by all this stuff? But it's easier here than in your workplace. And we need his equipping. But that's what the purpose of the fivefold, the pastor, teacher, the prophet, evangelist. The teacher is here to equip. The pastor is here to come alongside. The prophet is here to speak the words of God. The apostolic is to go out and send into the mission field. God has equipped the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what you're here for is to get equipped. Amen? Amen. So let's get some equipping. We've been doing a series called Restoring Your Life. We've been looking at the story of the prodigal son as found in Luke 15. What a wonderful story. Spoken from the God of the universe as he walked on the earth to say, this is what the Father will do when you come to him in your fracturedness and your brokenness. I love this story. I read it over and over again to remind myself of the truth. In verses 11 through 13, the son gets sick of home. So he says, I'm leaving home. In verses 14 to 16, he becomes sick. He comes to the place of brokenness and fracturedness that he was longing for the husks that the pigs had rejected. In verses 17 and 19, the son is homesick and he turns around and leaves for home. In verses 20 to 14, the son is finally home. And we're all at different places on that journey. We all are. Even if you've been a Christian for a long time, it is possible to not be in the father's house and live with him. 
Papa doesn't like that. That's what I love about this. He who began a good work is going to complete it. He's not going to leave us where we're at. We can, we can kind of back off a little bit and quit trying to figure it all out. What does this year of restoration mean? We can just kind of sit in the confidence that he who began the good work is going to complete it. And as Norm says, the only part of us is to continue to say yes to him. The ultimate restraining order is he stands at the door and knocks, but because of our free will that God gave us, we can hold him back and say, no, Papa, you can't have me. Set that paper down, would you? Again, once again, come out with your hands up. I surrender. I surrender, God. Here I am. Again, restoration in the Hebrew means to turn back. God is taking us to, wants us to turn us back to the original intended purposes for your life. Isn't that a good thing? That no matter what our parents did, good or bad, right or wrong, we can get back to the purpose. No matter how off track we've gotten in our walk, that God's intended purpose is to get us back for what he had made us for, what he had set us apart for, what he had fashioned us for. That, to me, is good news. In the Greek, it means to set the joint. It means to uh, put it much like in a cast, in a place where restoration will come alongside and God will put us back to the intended purpose so that it will never fracture or break in that place again. That ought to give you hope. First time, if you take a cast off, the first time when you go and you're, you're running down the stairs, if you're like I am, and it's the first time it disjoints and you say... And it doesn't fall out. And you say, God, you did restoration. The first time when you step out and you go out and do ministry after you've failed and you've broken and you find God coming through and you say, God, you're a good God of restoration. See, God wants to bring hope in this year. God wants to talk about marriages that have fallen apart, jobs that have been made so much chaos that you can't figure out what you're supposed to do. God wants to put us back to our intended original purposes of God. That to me is a good thing. That I get hope in that thing. Last week we looked at returning. The whole idea of the response to returning leads to repentance, which leads to reconciliation. This week I'm going to look at a, a word that ought to get excited in the hearts of Dan and Mora and Craig and Paul Holmgren, and that word is reconciliation. Because these guys deal with finances. And in our English definition for reconciliation, it's a financial term. And you too, Carol, I know you're, you live in this world and that world, but reconciliation is on the heart of God. And we're going to look at that. And what does that mean to be reconciled to the Lord? What does it mean to be reconciled to the Father? And I want to go back a little bit to re kind of build a few things from last week. It is possible for us, I believe, to have a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. But it is also possible, now the Holy Spirit is one of the, the three members of the Holy Spirit is part of the, uh, the member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father imparted his word, and then, he, then people rejected it. So he set up prophets, and we rejected that. So he sent his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to walk on this earth, and we rejected him, and we killed him, and we said nothing, and he left his Holy Spirit to continue to teach us and to speak to us. He is the representative of the representative. He is a member. He is God. He is God. So it is possible for us to reject a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how? By not fully repenting, by not fully turning away from our sin. I believe it's possible. Often in Christian environments, we simplify the whole idea of forgiveness. We, we teach people to say, just say forgive me. Now, now, I believe there's something that happens prophetically when you forgive something. You don't have to feel forgiveness in order for forgiveness to take place. 
But there's something that when God wants to do a deep work, there's times where, I know you guys never have conflict in your relationship, we do occasionally. As many people as we counsel, as many people as I've wed, as many premarital counseling I do, we occasionally have, because she's not perfect. And God's still working on that. But I will do something wrong and I'll ask her for forgiveness. And then a month later, a year later, a couple of years later, I'll be driving down the road and all of a sudden the Spirit of God will bring conviction. I've learned to recognize conviction versus condemnation. There's sometimes where the enemy brings up your past. But there's sometimes where God is trying to need it and I'll turn and say, you remember when this happened? She'll say, no, because she doesn't really remember things. And I don't mean the negative, that's a good thing. The past is past. He's removed her sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers them no more. But there are occasions where I'll say, you know, God's really needing this in my heart and I recognize the depth of what I did or said. And I'll ask for forgiveness. And she'll say, I already forgave you. But, but God's doing a deeper work because he's connecting the dots. not the only person I said or did that to because God's working at character stuff. He's transforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. The impressed expression of God upon our lives. He's changing us and transforming us. It seems like if we don't understand that and really turn from our sins, we're going to bound to repeat them again, right? But when there's a character and an understanding of what we did was wrong, we are more apt to not do that thing again. Restoration. The deeper understanding of our sin, the more sorrow it produces and the greater hearts we have to God for what he's done for our lives. I'm not talking about walking around uh, feeling somber all the time and, and sad face. That's what the Pharisees did. Jesus didn't like that. What I'm talking about is really understanding that. Not a quick, please forgive me and move on with your life. Repentance is not just a quick forgiveness when we break the relationship so that we can get back in the relationship and move on to other more important things. That's not repentance. True repentance, which begins in the heart, is authentically seeing and knowing and turning from that which darkens my relationship with the lover of my soul. It's understanding that I've broken covenant with God. But more than that, I insulted him and I heard him. You say, wait, well, you're talking about your wife. She's a child of his. He's a daughter of his. More than that, we're married, so the two become one. I'm insulting not only the lover of my soul, but a partner of mine. So God wants a deeper understanding of what we do and the consequences of that and the damning that takes place because we cut off the life flow of Jesus Christ flowing in our life. Peter wrote in one of his epistles, he said this, he says, dwell with them who are understanding, meaning the wife, to the husband, he's saying this, so that your prayers are not hindered. It's not a quick fix sometimes. And again, if you're on the other end of it, you don't have to sit there and, and wait till you feel like forgiving the other person. You can, in, in faith, in Jesus' name, forgive the other person and release them. Whatsoever things you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you understand that? You don't have to feel forgiveness in order to give forgiveness. I'm talking about on the other side. It's not a quick, well, I said I'm sorry, move on. We need to understand this. An easy treatment of sin simply leads to survival mentality. This is what the son was wanted to do in the prodigal story, in the story of, in Luke 15. He wanted to just deal with it and move on with his life. He had a survival mentality. There's too much survival mentality in the body of Christ. That whole thing, if I want the insurance paper so that when I die, I get to go to heaven. That's what I'm looking for. How do I get it? Great, now leave me alone. I'm a Christian, I can do whatever I want. After all, God forgives me and overlooks my sin. God forgives you because Jesus Christ paid the price. But there has to be this mentality that has to go beyond getting just my needs met, beyond being an employee of the Father, 
but being in relationships as sons and daughters. Just trying to get my needs met is what the prodigal son did. I'll go home. After all, how many of my father's household have more than enough? How many employees of my father will have needs met, have a place to stay, have everything taken care of? I'm going to go home and be an employee. That's good enough. I'll say, Dad, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and we'll just move on with our life. And the father always says, no way. I'm not looking for that kind of relationship. And I'm glad God doesn't tolerate it. Where do I sign up? Okay, are you a Christian? I'm a Christian. Are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Great. I got my paperwork. Then if any time anyone ever asks me, I've got the paperwork. Leave me alone. I don't have time to think about heaven. Give me more darkness, said the blind man. Give me more folly, said the fool. Give me stone silence, said the deaf man. I didn't believe Sunday school. Take it away, says the hungry man. Although I'm starving, I'll get by. Take it away, said the thirsty man. I'll get a drink before I die. Just, I've got the insurance papers. I'm fine. Leave me alone. And God doesn't want that. He wants true reconciliation so that we can sit there and fellowship with him. Go back, not today, but go back and read what we lost in Genesis and the relationship, the intimacy with the father to walking as he brought things to it and said, what do you name this thing? What are you thinking? Graham, you probably understand this as a creator also. Anyone here who's artistic understands. And it's like, you just want to show somebody. You just want to show somebody. I remember Kathy went to the store once, and I knew she'd be gone several hours. I was bored out of my skull. I was sitting in the cast, literally, and I took one of my guitars, and I changed the color. I went and painted it, and I put some stuff in it. I couldn't wait to show her. Hopefully, she wouldn't get mad because I was supposed to be resting. But I couldn't wait to show her. That's what the Father wants to do with us. Look what I made. That's what we lost in Genesis. And that's what Jesus Christ came to get us back to. Not a quick insurance paper, but relationship with the Father. There's too much survival mentality. See, the son didn't understand that with true reconciliation, he's restored as a son, not as a hired hand. Not an employer. He wasn't looking for the thriving relationship. He came home just to live on the estate, but not live with the family. See, we desire relationship and identity restored. That's a good thing. But just until the wave of our brokenness and what we did passes away, and then we want to resume our inheritance so that we can go out and do whatever we want to do. I want to do what I want to do. Papa, give me the money. You said you'd have it. You said if I confess my sins, you're just and faithful, forgive my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Give me it, Father, so I can go back to what I was doing. There, I took care of that. And Papa says, no way. In a sense, we want reconciliation until all of our past. Then we seek our own convenience, self-comfort, self-centered way, and in the process, this is what we do. We reject the full relationship with the Father. Jesus Christ came to reconcile God and man. It's not enough to be a slave in the same household of the Father. Our Father wants full restoration as sons and daughters being restored to what God's intended purpose for you and for me is. In Luke 15, verse 20, While the son was a great way off, the father ran and kissed him and embraced him and hugged his neck. See, God was just breathing reconciliation. He wanted restoration and reconciliation with the son. He saw him. When the, when the son was still a great way off, the father ran. He cinched up his clothes, he girded his waist, and he ran to reach his son. He wasn't out looking for a hiring. He wasn't looking for an employee. Verse 21, the son has a speech prepared. He doesn't want to be treated as a son. He wants to be treated not as a son or a slave, but as an employee. 
See, sons and slaves lived at home and they had identification and ownership with somebody else. Employees could come and go as they wanted to. God doesn't want employees. You're either a slave to him or you're a son and a daughter. He doesn't looking for employees. You don't work for the Lord. You do work with the Lord, but you're not an employee. And some of you have been Christians a long time and you don't understand that. That's what the restoration of the story was all about. It wasn't employees. I've known pastors who don't understand this. I've gathered in pastors' prayer groups. They didn't understand. They were not hired to do ministry. They were sons and daughters who were reconciled and given the word of restoration and the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. And they were to go out there and to do something with it out of love and compassion, not as an employee. And they took their checks and they left wounded and fractured people in their path. Ezekiel 34 talks real clearly about that, the two different types of shepherds. God is looking for people who are sons and daughters not employees. Verse 21, the son comes home. He's got his speech all prepared. He's got it all worked out. He's been walking all the way home. He's got it all figured out. What he's been doing really is filling out a job application metaphorically. I'll go to my father. I'll say this. He'll hire me. I get to live in the land. I get the money back because I already blew my inheritance and it's good enough and it'll be fine. So he's getting ready to start his little speech and the father turns to the servants during the speech and says, Putting his hand, I always see it as putting his hand over the son's mouth and says, Servants, get the physical evidence that this kid is once again my son. Get the physical evidence of total restoration, total reconciliation. My son is home. Get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals. See, by putting sandals on his feet, it meant the son could walk around. He was a, a son of the, of the living father that was in this household. Kill the fatted calf. The robe read restoration of position. The ring meant restoration of authority. The sandals meant restoration of dominion. By putting these items on, the father was saying, Slave, never. Employee, never. This is my son. And treat him as my son. And I want you to understand you have been restored today as my son. Or my daughter. You'll never be an employee of mine. Full restoration. It's such a good thing. That's why we sang that song, I'll never understand what you did this side of heaven. You want to know why we worship him the rest of our, of our eternity? I think he reveals that. I think he reveals what he did. And we say, oh, God, I sure missed a lot. And again, I love sports, but I sure missed a lot. I sure missed a lot by going to the wild game on Wednesday nights rather than being at Tom's Bible study. I sure missed a lot. And not taking Tom with him. That's what I was really saying. <laughs> Full restoration. A little oxygen because we're going deeper. Full restoration. Full restoration. He's not going to settle for employees, so why are you settling for employees? Because you still are convinced that you're not fully restored and not fully reconciled. That's why I said the Craig Andersons and the Dan and Moras and the Pauls and the Carols, when you hear reconciliation, you hear a different understanding. I remember Dan always saying, it's time for me to do the reconciliation on the books. Now I saw, what's wrong with the books? So I always joked that he always kept two copies, one in pencil and one in hard, in case the auditors came through. But full restoration. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 
verse 17. This is one of those passages we tell new Christians all the time, but I don't think we ever explain it to them in a way that they get it. And again, that's the Holy Spirit's job to take things deeper. And I'm hoping as we go through this that the Lord will open it up and we understand how he wants reconciliation with the Father. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness of God in him. Let me ask you a question. Verse 21, was Jesus Christ made sin for us? Was Jesus Christ made sin for us? Then the other part of that is true. He made him who knew no sin that we might become what? The righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness, that means right standing. That means I can walk into the throne room. He's not going to look at the mud on my shoes. Righteousness. If he made him who knew no sin become sin for us, then he made us righteous. It's, you can't take that verse and dissect it down the middle. If the first half is true, and we know it is, then the second half is true. It's time we start acting like we're righteous in God's eyes. And come boldly, not because I say it, but because his word says, come boldly in the throne room of grace that you might find mercy in your hour of need. Father, I'm coming here. I'm covered with mud. I'm covered with junk. But I'm coming in because your word says I can come in. Your word says that he who knew no sin became sin, that I may become the righteousness. I'm walking in because your word says it. And shove the other stuff aside, the guilt you feel, the condemnation you feel, the shame you feel. He knows you're naked. He knows what you did. He is there because of full reconciliation that was done through Jesus Christ, shed blood on the cross for you. Verse 17 says we're a new creation. In the Greek, the word new is talking about freshness. It's a freshness. I love putting on new clothes. I mean, most guys would agree with this one. We really like the old stuff. I still wear the same shirt underneath my jerseys always. It's not, it's not superstitious. I just like it feels right to my skin. That's part of why we get married, so our wives can remind us. Uh, you can see through that shirt. You need to get rid of it. It doesn't mean, I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. When, you, when it says you're a new creation, if you're five foot when you become a Christian, there's a very good chance after we pray for you, you're not going to become six foot. If you're 300 pounds before you're a Christian, there's a very good chance you'll be 300 pounds after you're a Christian until God starts dealing with some stuff. We're not talking about necessarily the physical changes. Although in the book of Mark, there's a story in chapter 5 where it says this demon-possessed man who, who chains could not hold, he reached to run around naked. When, when Jesus had an encounter with him, it says he was seated in his right mind, fully clothed. God can change. I am told that when I became a Christian, the color of my eyes changed. This was confirmed by several people. My birth certificate says they were blue. My eyes are blue. But there was something that God took out the evilness in me took out the anger in me, took out the violence that was in there and changed it from a cold steel blue to a, to a I guess a really beautiful blue. Is that what you said? Cute blue. <laughs> there was another person that was in our house and she wanted to talk about baptism and her and her husband came over and wanted to be baptized. And so we were talking about it and, and the next Sunday we are going to do it at church. And, 
And in the process of conversation, I discovered this woman was not a Christian, had no concept of Christianity, was just kind of doing it because her husband had done it and it was the right time to do. We led her into salvation. We prayed for her. She walked downstairs and Kathy looked at her and says, not knowing what had taken place, said, what is different about you? You look different. Something changed. So when you become a Christian, someone may notice it. But I'm telling you, we think that come to Jesus and the, and the fat will just melt away. Come to Jesus and you who are four foot will suddenly be able to play in the pro basketball. It doesn't happen that way. So some of this flesh is still the same. Some of our carnality is still there. Sometimes God delivers us miraculously from drugs and alcohol and anger and violence in, in situations like that. And I've seen that in the life of some of my, kid, and my uh, brothers. But sometimes there's still this carnality. And we're still prone to things. We're still prone to wrong words, wrong actions, wrong thoughts. And God continues to work in us. That sanctification continues to change us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And the more we keep saying yes to him, the more he keeps changing us. But if someone sold you a bill of goods and says, when you come to Jesus, everything will change, it does. As far as God's concerned, it does change. And we're going to look at that. I'm just telling you, on the outside, your carnality will still be there. You're still going to have scars in your hands. You're still going to have imperfection. But we're new creations, whether we feel like it or not. Our minds are changed. Listen to this, what hit me. I was thinking of this this week. Here's what I think changes. Instead of trying to get out of every situation, we try to get something out of every situation. It's a different mentality. We understand that God's got a purpose for our lives. We've got, we understand that God's got a, a redemptive plan for our lives. We understand that God thinks the best, believes the best, wants the best for my life. So instead of trying to get out of everything, we learn to get stuff out of it as God takes us through it. We understand that he's leading us through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's walking through us. And I always think, God, if you're crazy enough to go through this with me, see, I wouldn't have done it. I take people on the mountaintops through all the good places. I wouldn't lead them through. But if he's taking me through it, he wants me to get something out of it. I didn't have that mentality before I was a Christian. I had a whole lot of how dare you, who do you think you are conversations with God. And something changes it. And I keep thinking, wow, why are you taking me through this? You must be wanting to teach me something. I see oftentimes when people come to Christ, immediately there's a change that takes place because they understand that something changed. I mean, you just know it. How many here has some kind of feeling? You, you felt different. There was an aliveness. But there really is, and more importantly, there's a change that takes place in the spirit realm. That's why some people have, have said this testimony. After I came to Jesus Christ, all hell itself came against me. What a revelation. You suddenly have switched from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. There's something that happens when, the, when you pronounce and confess Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. There's something happens similar to when I've done weddings and I get to the part where I say, by the power vested in me by the state of Minnesota and as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you man and wife and I sign my name and the witnesses sign their name. As far as the state of Minnesota is concerned, they are man and wife and it takes a judicial act to change what I just did. But I don't feel any difference. How many here, except for the excitement, did you feel any difference when you walked down the aisle? Oh, now I really feel different. No, it was the same person. I always wonder if people living together, how, what kind of thing happens. You know, really, you aren't going to feel anything. And yet, in the, in, the real, in the realm, in the legal, judicial realm, something took place when I pronounced them man and wife. In the same way in the spirit realm, when you profess Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, 
something takes place, whether you feel like it or not. You become a new creation. You're not going to become, you have become. Right there, settled, sealed, done. Well, I don't feel like it. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it or not. Just something happens. God sees us as fully reconciled, as a new child, as a new person, finally put back into place in the intention of what he has. God sees us always, again, through the eyes of the covenant. That's why the ring, the robe, the sandals were so important. The fatted calf, it was so important so that the son would know that he was fully restored. That's why God does things in our life so we know that what is taking place in the spirit realm is manifested in our lives. That's why some people say, wow, you've really changed. What's going on in your life? You seem different. You act different. Nothing has changed, maybe, in the physical realm, the day right, right when you got saved. But eventually, what took place inwardly starts manifesting itself, or it should. You will know a tree by a fruit, Jesus said. There's outward manifestation, or inward manifestations of the heart that affects the outward manifestation. That's why your speech changes. That's why the things you look at or the things you do or don't do change. That's why you will never change a person by imposing legalism on them. It has to be the thing that takes place in the heart. Because when it takes place in the heart, when you become a new creation in Christ, suddenly the old things pass away. And the things, even if they draw us back and lure us back, they don't have the same kind of effect. And we find ourselves right back at the cross and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I walked away from you. We are changed into something completely different. And I got a little illustration that um, hopefully will make somewhat of sense to you. Go ahead and put the, put the first slide up on there. I'm told that in World War I and II, sailors on, the, on ships to pass the time used to take... Uh, Coins, anything 1964 and older. There's a quarter. I got a 50 cent piece here. Anything 1964 and older, the purity of the silver is the same as a jeweler would would work with or a silversmith. I'm told that on the ships, the sailors used to take these things and they would fasten them from a 50 cent piece into a ring. I'm told that what they would do is they'd sit there and they would tap these things they sit on the edge and tap these things ever so gently, keep pumping through them a little bit, and so they start fashioning this thing so it starts thickening out, and then you drill the hole out. I really get bored sometimes. And then you carve it out, keep going, and to the point that it's a ring from a silver coin. Leave that one up there. It says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. God takes us from a thing that seems almost worthless, unless it's 50 cents a wrapper, then he's worth millions, but from a 50-cent piece that seems to be worthless, that until I took the uh, baking soda on the last night, was dirty, it was dingy, it was thrown in a drawer, and he takes it from that and says, you're a new creation. Refashion from the same piece. That's why you look on the outside of us and we're still the same person. But God says, I'm fashioning back for the intended purpose. I don't want you to get too deep in this and say, so the original intended purpose of that silver was to be a ring. No, God has said, you are not worthless. You have value. You have purpose. Of the two, which one do you think has more value right now? The ring was. I go to a coin collector. Maybe I can get 350 for this. I can ask a whole lot more for this, especially if I sign my name to it. And I'm somebody of importance, correct? Is that not true? If Michael Pilla, who does jewelry here in the Twin Cities, or, or someone else who does jewelry, signs their name, and that thing increases in value. 
God has put his signature on you and took you from a useless, seemingly valueless coin and turned you into something of fit and honor. That's why the ring was so important. He says, you have signet authority in this world. You're not worth 50 cents to me. You have purpose. That's why all hell continues to try to stop you from the destiny and the purpose of your life. That's why reconciliation and restoration is so important for you to understand. We are new creations. The old thing has passed away. I don't care what your mom said about you, your dad said about you, your neighbor said about you, or what you continue, the mantra you keep repeating in your mind. New creations, purposes, sons and daughters, righteous position in Christ. That's why he says, all power and authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, because all power and authority has been given to me, and I'm sending you out to do something. That banner outside the door is not just something to cover up a crack or a paint spill that's there. It is a reminder that we are new creations sent to make disciples of all nations. God's got a purpose for us. God's got a plan for us. And he's fitly fashioning us for back to our greater purposes. Verse 18 says that we are reconciled, we're reconnected, we're redeemed. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. The Father paid for it all through Jesus Christ. We become reconciled through Jesus Christ alone. Verse 19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He did it all. It's all paid for. Quit trying in your efforts to make something happen. There's a freedom in knowing it's already paid for. And yet we continue as Christians to not get this. We continue to see ourselves as worthless, fractured, broken people instead of realizing that we are reconciled. So I better give you some definitions of verses 18 and 19. Imputing in the Greek means to take an inventory. He's not... That is, verse 19, he was not imputing to them their trespass. He's not taking an inventory of your sins every time you walk into church, every time you walk into your prayer closet, every time you walk into your shower. He's not taking an account for everything you've done wrong. That's the impression we have outside of the blood of Jesus, yes. We will give an account for our lives. That's why we, it is so necessary for us to be grateful for what Jesus Christ has done. And out of good respect to the Father who paid for this price to not keep bringing up once he's forgiven you of your sin. That's why I said with a deep understanding of what he did, there's a turning away that's genuine that does not cause us to go back into it again. He's not bringing them back up for us. Trespasses in the Greek means a false step or a blunder. We do that every day. You do it as long as you get out of bed, you do We continue to have trespasses, but he's not holding these trespasses against us when we plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation, again, this is for the accountants. It means to exchange, restoring a favor. It means atonement. It's adjusting things. In the world of financing, it's to check for financial account against another for accuracy. As far as God's concerned, again, I'm not an accountant. Any math I do, I do on a calculator. I, I more gravitate towards the artistic side. But in accounting for my understanding, the reason you have a reconciliation of the book so that if anyone ever looks for it, it's all been accounted for. Is that not correct? So if there's something missing or there was a journal entry needed to explain why something was done, when the auditor looks at the book, it's fully accounted for. Is that not correct? When Jesus Christ paid for your sins, 
As far as the Father is concerned, and he looks at the books of all your wrongs and offenses, it's covered. He has reconciled the books. It's taken care of. He has blotted out the handwriting that says the sin that's been against us. And we still walk around and say, yeah, but this is what I did five years ago, five minutes ago, five months ago. And we live in that shame of that. Partly because we haven't really allowed God to change us, so we stop doing that. And that's oftentimes what I found. The shame that's associated with it has to do because you're still doing the sin. That's why you keep bringing it up and trying to pretend like it took place five months ago, five years ago. But the truth is you're still in that sin. Or you haven't recognized that when Jesus Christ paid for our sin, he fully blotted out all of that. So as far as God is concerned, the book has been reconciled. Oftentimes, I remember Dan would always do a journal entry if something had to be done to take care of. It's because without it, there was a part missing from that book. Jesus Christ paid the full redemptive work in our lives. As far as God's concerned, the scales have been balanced out. It's all taken care of. I've sat inside on ministry boards over the years, and I I remember we did an IRS audit after it was like 75-year-old ministry. And we sat with the, the tax accountant or the, uh, the IRS person. And they said, I just want to let you know. Everyone set down your guns before you start being defensive. We looked at your books. And reconciliation has taken place. You just forgot to fill in a line. That's what we want to talk to you about. We just want to know something's missing here. Because we can't sign off in these books and say that everything is good and you're up to snuff as a nonprofit corporation until this has taken place. Reconciliation is that as far as God is concerned, it's already taken care of. It's all paid for. When we get that understanding in our spirit, man, it will affect everything we do. Because then ultimately we'll lead to verse 20. And verse 20 says God's got a purpose for us. God has a work for us. It starts off with therefore. And whenever there's a therefore, we go back to find out what it's there for. Because Jesus Christ has done this. Because he's not holding our sin against us. Because we're new creations in Christ. Because as far as God's concerned, the reconciliation has taken place. Therefore, because of that, we are ambassadors. See, if you don't understand that he who knew no sin became sin for us, and you don't understand that God has cleaned the book, we'll never be an ambassador for him. Because if, if you knew my sin, then I, you know, you'd never ask me to share God says, I've looked at your life and you've confessed those sins and I've not only cleansed you of all your sins, but I've cleansed you of all unrighteousness. That's where it says, that's where reconciliation takes place. There's a part for us to do. And that's to agree that what God calls sin is sin. But once that's been done and once the books have been reconciled, we can go out there as an ambassador for him. Ambassador in the Greek, I love this, act as a representative is what it means. It means a preacher. It means an ambassador. In the English, I like this. Listen to this. It's a diplomatic official of the highest rank appointed and accredited as a representative in residence by one government or a sovereign to another, usually for a specific length of time. That's the entire time you're on the length of the earth. An authorized messenger or representative. From what I understand, diplomatic immunity is really carte blanche. You have carte blanche in this world. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done. He sent you in there. Well, what if all hell comes out against me? Cast out the devils. What if someone's sick? Lay hands on the sick and they'll be healed. What if there's a, someone gives me deadly poison? It won't harm you. It's all written in his book. It's what he told the disciples before he sent them out as ambassadors. 
We have the diplomatic immunity flying in our lives. We have the flags in our cars, but we don't see it because we still see ourselves as not reconciled. We'll walk different when we go to work tomorrow. We'll act different when we go to work tomorrow. We're not better than anyone. We're just coming as an ambassador who has the papers, who have the cars. You ever watch some of these CSI shows? There's always someone that, one show at some point or another where someone does something wrong and they say, I've got diplomatic immunity. I can get away with it. We have diplomatic immunity in a different sense. We come with the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, his work working through us, the Spirit of God speaking through us, talking through us. You say, well, you know what, Tom, that sounds good. I just signed up again because I didn't want to go to hell. That's why I signed up. Jesus says this to his disciples, and it's applicable to us. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you to bear fruit, and that that fruit should remain, and whatever you're asking the Father... In my name, he will give you. See, we understand that from a covetous um, American view of life. He's saying differently. He says, I've appointed you to bear fruit. I've got a purpose for your life. And whatever you ask for, I'm going to give it to you. You want to go reach this neighborhood? Go reach the neighborhood. You want to reach the people at work? Go there. I'll back you up. I will be there. I will manifest my presence just like I did when Jesus walked the earth. When they came back rejoicing and leaping because they saw the powers in there, Jesus said, remember... Don't rejoice that the devil falls. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. But you see that stuff? Greater work you're going to do because I'm going to the Father. And the Spirit of God, who's been inside of me, he's going to rest in every single one of you. Go out there and reach this lost and broken world. That ought to excite you. You're not only only reconciled the Father, you have a divine destiny and your purpose in your life. You say, okay, great, got all that. What do I do tomorrow morning when I go to work? What's this got to do with my life? I know I'm forgiven. I know that as far as God's concerned, I'm reconciled with the Father. I know he's doing restoration. I can feel the cast sometimes because it's a little too constructive in my life. What do I do with this tomorrow morning? Number one, if you don't know Jesus, the Father wants you to be reconciled today. It says, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. We don't know how often we have to live. No clue. No idea. We still didn't get it with 9-11. We still didn't get it with Haiti. God is trying to get at our attention the fragility of this life and how we don't know what we have. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, there's no better time than today to do it. Don't put it off. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13 says this. And again, I'll tell you what the purpose is. He wants to restore you for your intended purpose. He's got a purpose for you. You've gone crooked on that purpose. He wants to restore you back. The Bible says this, If you confess your mouth to the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart... One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confessions made in salvation. For Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That's true reconciliation. As far as God's concerned, the books are done. You say, Tom, I already know all that. I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian. I've been walking in this stuff. What has it got to do with me tomorrow morning? Verse 18 says God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't just do it in your life. He's given this to you as a ministry to go out and bring into this world. You're his hands. You're his feet. You're his mouth. In all the trades, in all the businesses, in all the occupations, in your employment and your unemployment, in your neighborhood, in your work, in your school, in your vocations, 
in your calling, in your ministry, you've been giving, number one, the ministry of reconciliation. That's to each one of you. In the Greek, the word is referring to a servant or a table waiter. That's why Jesus washed their feet for them to understand. This is the ministry of reconciliation. You are to go and serve the Lord Jesus Christ by giving him your life wholeheartedly and saying, Lord, this is each of our calling. Lord, this is each of our responsibility to go into the world to preach the gospel. Every single one of us, at the sound of my voice, that's the calling that's on your life. That's not out of guilt. That ought to be rejoicing. I get to go as an ambassador. Where do you want to send me? God has been using Kathy a lot in opportunities of ministry in, in the place of work. I've been provoked to jealousy and saying, Oh, God, give me some opportunities like that. I get excited. I get excited about opportunities to be used by God, and so should you. There's nothing more powerfully wonderful than leading another person to the Lord. Nothing. Now, again, as Paul said, one plants... One water, but God gives the harvest. I appreciate all the people that have that have tilled the soil in the lives of people that I've been able to pray with to receive Jesus because I know there were other people praying for them, other people witnessing to them, other people caring for them, other people nurturing. Don't go all hung up on how God uses you. Just say, Lord, here I am. What do you want to do? And let him use you. And don't compare your gifted and your usefulness one to the other. Don't do that. That's wrong. That's the devil. God wants to use all of us in this process. Then verse 19, the second part, he says, he has given us this word of reconciliation. Point to your mouth. The word is logos. It's the spoken word. It's not about just going and saying, well, just live as a Christian. How do they know your change on the inside? They can't see your heart. And some of you have been working in the same places as a Christian, and they never knew you came to Christ. They've always known you this way. One of my brothers works in the same place he has for about 30 years, plus or minus between it. So there are guys that knew him before he was a Christian, and there are people that have seen the change. But if someone gets hired tomorrow, they won't know that Rick was a Christian. I mean, really, they don't, they've never seen the change. So the stuff that's going on inside of your heart, the stuff where you said, Lord, I, I just love you, they don't know that. It's given you the word, the logos, the spoken word. Guess what you have to do? You have to speak. You have to share as the Holy Spirit leads you and directs you and gives you unction to that. In other words, we're called to talk about Jesus and what he's done in our life. The Bible says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Again, remember one of the words for ambassador means a preacher. We're all called to be ambassadors. How shall they preach unless they're sent? It's written, how beautiful in the feet of those who preach the gospel priests who bring glad tidings of good things. That's all of us. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit's been placed in your life and he'll make himself known to you because he wants to work through you. Worship team, if you come up, please. See, this is one of those messages that it's not, all right, everyone come to the altar and we're going to pray for you and we're going to send you out ambassadors. Unless that's what you want to do because I'll take time to pray for you. That's to get past that stuff that's hindering you. And I'm happy to do this. But this whole thing of God doing a restoration in our lives, I believe, is something that he's going to keep working in us. That's why I think Pastor Jim had a sense to do it for five weeks. And Dave's going to speak the next two weeks. And Pastor Dave comes here, he's going to keep building on what we're talking because God's got a year set aside for us to do restoration. But the whole idea of God restoring us back to the intended purposes of what he created us for is exciting for me. 
I want to get back to what God made me for. I spent too many years running from the calling of God in my life, and so have you. No matter what you're doing at this point in your life. Amen, Litovic? Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. I, I would have never had Litovic come here to the United States. If I was God, I would have left you in Haiti. So when the whole system collapsed, you were already there. God's got another intended purpose. And he keeps deepening that calling. and keeps deepening the purposes. You listen to Litovic, and this guy continues to dream about what God wants to do. And some of you, the dreams have been shoved off for so many years, you've stifled them simply because you don't know that you're right with God. He's created you for a new purpose and a new plan. Here's the, here's the good news for me, is God's not going to give up on us. He who began a good work does not. I love this song by Misty Edwards. It's called, You Won't Relent. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. I'll set you as a seal. It's from Song of Solomon. I'll set you as a seal on my heart, as a seal upon my arm. For there is love that is as strong as death, jealousy demanding as a grave. Many waters cannot quench this love. This is the prayer. Come be the fire inside of me. Come be the flame of my heart. Come be the fire inside of me until you and I are one. Father, we look to you right now. We recognize our own brokenness. We recognize our own fracturedness. But, but that's not how you see us if we've confessed our sins and we received you as Lord and Savior. So, Father, I pray for those who don't know you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to work and convict because you wish that none should perish but all would have eternal life. The number of people that call themselves Christians that really aren't Christians. That if they die tonight, their assurance is based on their father's religion, their mother's religion, not based on relationship with Jesus Christ. And they walk around. Holy Spirit, part of your, your calling is to convict us of our sin. I ask that you convict them of their sin, that they can be restored back to the rightful position and place with you. Father, for those who are Christians in this room, I pray that you would convict us of the calling in our life to be ambassadors, that you've given us the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation. Help us, Father, to serve people to love the unlovely, to touch the untouchables. And Father, I pray that you'd open up our mouths that we would speak with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that you came and you paid for it all. You reconciled the books between God and man. Jesus, do something great in our lives this week. A thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains. And should I stumble again, I'm caught in your grace. Everlasting, your light shines when all else fail. Never-ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. My heart and my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Your will above all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself and bringing you praise. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fails. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. In my heart, in my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. Everlasting, your light will shine when all else fail. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. And the cry of my heart is to bring you praise. From the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, I just encourage you to stay a little bit and to worship. I'll give the benediction now so you're free to go. If you need prayer, come on up.
I love this from Romans 15, 13, because this is our hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen.